The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. Moody's Investors Service has signaled that its confidence is wavering ahead of a potential U.S. government shutdown. We get more from Bloomberg's Kaylee Lines. They say that the sh- shutdown would underscore the weakness of U.S. institutional governance and strength. The statement goes on to say uh, it would demonstrate the significant constraint that intensifying political polarization continues to put on U.S. fiscal policymaking. And the reason this might sound so familiar is it was just back in August when Fitch downgraded the U.S. credit rating because of governance issues and political dysfunction. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons reporting, Moody stopped short of threatening a downgrade, but it did use unusually blunt language in expressing concerns over the looming shutdown. Moody's latest report, which leaves its U.S. rating unchanged, is a sign that debt sustainability and the politics surrounding it will continue to be a theme through the remainder of the year. We heard from the CEO of Goldman Sachs today, David Solomon. He was saying it would be unprecedented for the economy to go through this type of Fed tightening without a slowdown in growth. Here he is speaking earlier at the American Energy Security Summit in Oklahoma City. I think it's going to be hard to get the inflation, to get inflation back to the target. And that probably means if inflation is sticky, we will see additional interest rate increases. And ultimately, that probably does lead to a little bit more of a slowdown in the economy. Whether that's a recession or it's just a slowdown, you know, it's hard to say. That is David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs. You'll remember last week, two Fed officials saying at least one more rate hike is possible as the Fed looks to get inflation back to that 2% target. And today, the head of the Chicago Fed, Austin Goolsby, was saying it's still possible for the U.S. to avoid recession. Brian? Well, Amazon is planning to invest in an AI startup, Anthropic. It's the latest move by Amazon to become a major player in generative artificial intelligence. Here's Bloomberg's Alex Webb. Amazon has very much been seen as a laggard in this space. You know, you Google obviously got strong AI chops. Google Bard is their uh, front face, forward facing like chat model. And so this potentially you know, beefs up their capabilities in that space, uh, which helps them when it comes to the battle for the cloud. Bloomberg's Alex Webb and Amazon stock traded up 1.7%. Amazon is committing one and a quarter billion for the initial investment for a minority position in the startup. The final investment could reach $4 billion. As part of the deal, Anthropic will move most of its software to Amazon Web Services data centers. It will also use Amazon's chips to train AI models used to power chatbots and other applications. Well, Ford Motor is halting construction on a battery plant in Michigan worth $3.5 billion. We have the story from Bloomberg's Denise Pellegrini. 
The plant drew scrutiny from Republican lawmakers for its ties to a Chinese battery maker. The plan was to license technology from China's contemporary Amperex technology, but some lawmakers accused the company of being affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party. A Ford spokesperson now saying the company is pausing work and limiting spending on construction for now. It's not clear if the political pressure is the reason for the halt. Ford is also throttling back on ambitious electric vehicle production plans as sales growth slows. This plant would have employed 2,500 workers and produced enough batteries to power 400,000 electric vehicles a year. Denise Pellegrini, Bloomberg Radio. Well, China and the EU have reached a slew of agreements in areas including macroeconomic policy as well as supply chain cooperation. However, China's Vice Premier He Lifeng expressed strong concern and dissatisfaction over the EU anti-subsidy probe into Chinese electric vehicles. The Vice Premier made these comments yesterday after meeting with the European Union's chief trade negotiator, Valdis Dombrovskis. We hope that the EU would exercise caution and to continue to keep its market free and open. This benefits European consumers, benefits green and local development of Europe, and benefits global climate change cooperation. Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng. Earlier yesterday, Dombrovskis warned China that the EU would be more forceful in upholding fair competition and defending its interests against the country. He, or rather He, said that China is hoping that the EU would cancel the export restrictions on high-tech goods. The EU launched an anti-subsidy probe into Chinese EVs earlier this month, and China's Commerce Ministry has criticized the investigation as a, quote, naked act of protectionism. The China- Chinese property developer Evergrande has failed to repay an onshore bond. We have that story from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong in Hong Kong. Evergrande subsidiary Hengda Real Estate defaulted on $547 million in principal plus interest. The onshore bond was due September 25th. In March, Hengda missed an interest payment on the bond, which was issued back in 2020. Hengda said it would actively negotiate with bondholders to find a solution. Meanwhile, Tyson reported that two former Evergrande executives had been detained by Chinese authorities. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Radio. I'm Ryan Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. You know, China today put this nicely on the Evergrande story. Evergrande rises from the graveyard to haunt markets. Halloween's still a month away, but a renewed crisis at Evergrande has started to scare investors again. And also, Doug, I wanted to revisit that uh, EU-China story again, because although we mentioned this at the beginning, uh, that the Ministry of Commerce put out a statement saying that they had a lot of cooperation, Hmm. the comments from from Holly Fung were pretty sharply critical. And it's interesting that the latest batch of, of information we got was from the Ministry of Commerce putting a positive spin on it, saying the EU reached a slew of agreements in areas of macroeconomic policy coordination and supply chain cooperation. So I wonder whether or not those comments from He Lifeng were deemed as kind of harsh and they wanted to kind of step in and say, okay, that said, we did have some cooperation. So that's something we can put to our guests. Later. Certainly a complicated relationship when you talk about 
de-risking versus decoupling, right? And before you go, Brian, I want to uh, draw your attention. I don't know whether you saw this Fed study today warning on uh, some weakness in the U.S. consumer. This study claims all but the richest 20% have run out of excess pandemic savings. And at the same time today, Mike Wilson was warning about uh, some of the consumer stocks. He is citing a slowdown in consumer spending. He's also looking at uh, the issue of student loan repayments, rising delinquencies where credit cards are concerned, higher gas prices, and some weak data that we've seen in the housing market as well. Yeah, it is absolutely a concern. Uh, and we have noted for a while that uh, consumers have been spending a lot on their credit cards and with rates this high. And of course, you know, if you don't pay off uh, those credit card bills, the rates are stratospheric. <laughs> uh, but uh, one other quick comment on the Amazon investment. I know that uh, you worked on this story a little bit too. One of the things I think is interesting about it is that in the past, uh, AWS has focused more on developers rather than consumers. So this might mark a change in that, in trying to bring AI more to the consumer side of the equation. So something we can also explore later in the program. Now it's time for Global News. All right, let's get the latest on world news now with Ed Baxter in San Francisco. He is in the 960 newsroom looking at all the top stories. And I imagine right up there near the top would be President Biden tomorrow showing up on the picket line. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And we'll, uh, we'll get there in just a second. But when lawmakers get back tomorrow, they'll have a very short window to avert a government shutdown. They now will have to work on a continuing resolution. Bloomberg's Kaylee Lyons says it's the only way to get anything done. The mechanism of doing so is going to have to be a continuing resolution. They simply don't have time to pass all 12 appropriation bills they would need to. How long that continuing resolution is, though, in the House and whether it can get adequate support in the Republican Party, considering Speaker McCarthy can only afford to lose four votes, is an open question. Granted, the Senate also is working on its own uh, CR through the mechanism of uh, the FAA reauthorization bill. That is something Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is going to try to be working on this week. And Bloomberg's Laura Davison says this could last a while. Sources really are saying that this is going to to be, uh, you know, that Republicans are very much dug in on this. So we're looking at weeks, uh, potentially more. Uh, the whole idea um, of going into a shutdown, that what hardliners will tell you, they want to extract some sort of concessions from Democrats. They want to hold out uh, as long and, and try to uh, win things over. And Laura reports uh, that uh, the side that causes a shutdown rarely gets any political gain out of it. And for Kevin McCarthy. Why would they want to stop paying the troops or stop paying the border agents or the Coast Guard? Yeah, five days and counting. Philippines has removed China's floating barrier in the South China Sea just hours after condemning it. Coast Guard says it was at the order of President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. And uh, the UAW strike expands. President Biden will be in Michigan tomorrow. Uh, and he, White House, is stepping further into the fray. Spokeswoman Karina Jean-Pierre. This is the president that's made very, very clear that he believes that corporate profits should lead to record UAW, a record UAW contract. Jean-Pierre says uh, the president has made it very clear he believes corporate profits should lead to uh, UAW, a record contract. And Donald Trump goes to Michigan on Wednesday. With a tentative agreement of the Hollywood writer studio strike, the process begins in getting things back to work. But Stephen Wolf Pereira, business officer at Three Pals Studios, says it will not begin immediately. The reality is they need to get back to work. So um, we're glad that we have a tentative agreement. It needs now to go to the Guild members, and hopefully on Tuesday they will vote and ratify this, um, but it's still going to be some time before folks get back to work. And uh, 
WGA uh, picket lines are down. The uh, the United States uh, President Joe Biden has met with leaders from the Pacific Islands as the U.S. tries to compete against China's influence in the region. We hear your calls for reassurance that you never, never, never will lose your statehood or membership of the U.N. as a result of a climate crisis. Today, the United States is making it clear that this is our position as well. And he directly addressed the issue of rising sea levels, said the U.S. hears the concerns. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Vonnie Quinn, and our guest is Sylvia Jablonski, co-founder, CEO, and CIO at Defiance ETFs. Sylvia, a point-blank question here. Are yields rising because of concerns about inflation or confidence in growth? Hi, Brian. Great to talk to you today. You know, I, I think that a, a lot of this is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of this is just kind of fears of fears of growth, fears of inflation, and, you know, just a lot of uncertainty there. We saw the 10-year yield climb 11 basis points to above 4.54%, and we haven't seen that in well over a decade. So, um, you know, just, just fresh signs of uncertainty and, uh, and turmoil here in Maine. So, Sylvia, give us an idea of what you expect will happen growth-wise. So, I, you know, I, I think what will happen in terms of growth is very much to dependent on the path that the Fed takes, right? So if we get that one more rate hike and then we get into next year and we we have a clear picture of of what the Fed plans to do now, and that's essentially, you know, two less rate cuts than than we're projected before, and we sort of stick to that, then I think, you know, I think we know where we're at and it, and it feels tangible to achieve that soft landing with slow, with slower growth. However, if, if inflation, you know, kind of spooks us and goes the other way and, you know, price of oil and gas remains high, um, perhaps you have some hotter than expected reads and the Fed is sort of forced to do additional rate hikes and, and perhaps, you know, no cuts next year. I do think that puts us into a situation where we would be worried about growth. The growth this year has been unexpected. And you know, far more uh, positive than than you know was thought by the markets. You know, you had that that over two percent last quarter, two percent the quarter before. The consumers holding up, spending has held up. You know, corporate earnings are, are sort of great, um, and that's all in the face of these headwinds of, of high inflation and high rates. So if, if that sort of gets worse, I, I do think things will start to crack. And does that, given all your views, does that make the ten-year yield at a little over four and a half percent very attractive, and in fact maybe even more attractive? at the longer end rather than in the belly of the curve. Yeah, again, I, I think, you know, I think 
I think what really will matter to the market is essentially, you know, what happens with the Fed and what happens with rates. I'm not necessarily paying attention. You know, not much change today. So that move in, in the yield was a little bit um, surprising to me. I don't think that, you know, th- there was any kind of major news that necessarily prompted that. So I think, you know, it, it'll be really interesting just to see what the Fed does, um, what happens with inflation into the next couple of months, you know, what happens sort of with corporate earnings and, and you know, and then what the you know bottom line impact will be. Sure, but if you need to preserve cash or make some money between now and then, you can't really afford to wait. So what would the betting be here? I noticed today hedge funds are cutting leverage at the fastest pace since the 2020 crash. Yeah, so it depends on, you know, the sort of the position that you're in, I, I suppose. I, on, on one hand, you know, there are still great ways to generate short-term um, yield and income, right? You have these short-term uh, treasury products still still at the 4 to 5% range. So, you know, sure, you could sort of scoop those up in the short term. And then, you know, if you're a longer-term investor, though, I think the recent pullback, the market essentially rallied, right, through the end of, of July. And, um, you know, got, we got to a point where there was a lot of kind of fear of missing out. But then, you know, the, the logic there was like, well, now valuations are sort of too high. How much higher than, you know, can we go? Um, What's the good news on the horizon? And the good news on the horizon could be that, you know, the market has pulled back in those, you know, August and September doldrums. So if if you're kind of a dollar cost averager, you don't need to to raise cash in the next three months. These are good entry points because, you know, sort of regardless what happens um, in the near term, you know, inflation is coming down right systematically maybe maybe not you know kind of like a perfect straight line in the next couple of months but inflation is coming down the fed will come you know to a halt here and at some point that bodes well for the market and particularly you know growth stocks and again they've had a great run but some of them are now down you know 10 percent in the last couple of months so so there are opportunities there short term sure you can stay in these cash like products that yield four to five percent but longer term you know scooping up equities tends to win the race if I could direct the conversation uh, around to China and Asia more generally, uh, a lot of, uh, of, of guests on this program uh, do raise politics and policy uh, as one of the reasons that they're a little nervous about China. Normally, politics doesn't um, affect stock prices too much. Uh, in your view, is it worth looking at China or would you sort of be hands off for a while? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in turn, and again, it kind of depends on what kind of investor you are, right? I think if you're looking out to the longer term, you know, two, three, four years out, then there are great opportunities now to scoop up emerging market stocks because, you know, they just haven't done what the market expected them to do this year. Um, U.S. rates remained high, you know, China's seeing weakness in, in growth and demand and things like this. But again, I do think that these things tend to eventually come around. I wouldn't expect to see much performance. I probably, you know, wouldn't dip in if I had a short shorter investment time frame, say, you know, next six to 12 months or so in the region. But longer term, you know, I, I do think that you're you're looking at something that will be discounted, um, you know, when you look back two or three years from now. So mm-hmm. a lot of this will depend, again, on stability in the U.S., U.S. dollar, um, price of oil and gas, you know, sort of what the Fed does and, and you know, just the cross politics between China and the U.S. on, on parts and production manufacturing. I, I do think that matters. Um Again, second largest economy is a huge consumer of U.S. goods and travel and things like this. I mean, if, if things fall to the wayside, I, I do think that, um, that that sits on you know both economies' growth. Sylvia, you say the EV trade is where the puck is going. China or out of China? Uh, it, well, I think both there. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, again, some of the 
some of this will impact consumer spending. But, um, you know, if, if you look at the the top names in the U.S., which are Tesla and Rivian, and you look at the top three names in, in China, you know, you're seeing an increase in deliveries. You're seeing an increase um, in profitability margins. They're they're starting to um, account for, you know, larger percentages of, of sales. So in China, about 60 percent of new cars sold are electric vehicles. Um, and and the, in the U.S., you know, we sort of know the, the Tesla, Elon Musk story, the owner of the EV trade. But, you know, this is just something that's sitting at about 18 percent globally or, or projected to by the end of the year. It's between 14 and 18 now um, to 30 percent in the next five to 10 years. So you're talking about, you know, a, a multi, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars turning into 2.7 trillion by by 2040. Yeah. So this is a okay. longer term innovation trade. All right, Sylvia, thanks so much for joining us. Sylvia Jablonski, co-founder, CEO and CIO at Defiance ETFs. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.